at the table we have today is uh, David Fournay. He is the uh, Vice President of Adventist Risk Management for the North American Division. We are excited to have him with us today. Oh, Anything oh, else? For the world. Well, oh, that's right. Not for the, for the world church, not just for NAD, but for the world. Wow. Um, we, yes, wow you guys pulling some big hitters, man. This is good stuff. Um, so listen, so so no matter where you are on the planet, um, when it comes to risk management and getting in, we have some resources and some good information um, for you today. Roger, anything else you want to add before we bring David on? No, I think, hey, we He's a friend of young people. He loves youth ministries. We were talking, we were chatting in the green room. Uh, he was sharing with us that he is excited about the the campery that's coming up. As you know, uh, many oh, of you may right. not know this. We just found out this week that the campery is coming to the Mid America Union, and so uh, we're just so happy. <laughs> in that but David Cormier is a lover of young people um has has the youth at at heart and uh, has this church at heart so I'm excited to have him join us today let's bring him on and, and let's get started with our conversation all right and here we are David welcome glad to have you sir thank you it's good to be here thanks for having me on I really really appreciate the uh the program that you guys are doing it's uh it's been an interesting thing. I was able to catch up a little bit looking at some of the uh, videos on YouTube in particular. Um, I really enjoy what you're doing here and I'm glad that we're able to be part of it. And I think this is a really important conversation um, to have. So I, I think we'll have a lot of fun. Um, my own background uh, is I was originally uh, born and raised in Northern Ontario, Canada. So if you uh, hear a little accent every once in a while, um, a boot and a and whatnot, uh, you're gonna, you might hear a little bit of that. Um, my father was actually is actually a minister. Um, so I was raised in a pastoral home. Um, that's something I learned about the pastoral experience. Is it's not just the the uh, minister of the family who is working as a minister it's it's a team effort um so that's that's sort of the context of how i was i was raised in uh, northern ontario for the most part uh, my father actually retired uh from ministry as the president of the maritime conference and as is so frequently the case with church workers he uh of course is back to <laughs> Uh, pastoring part-time uh, in retirement. Um, so I, you know, I had some pressure. I, I wouldn't say a lot of pressure, but I had some pressure to pursue the course of ministry myself. But uh, my own interests uh, were a bit diverse. I studied design and art, multimedia. I studied languages, spent some time in our school in France, and uh, ultimately also studied business and ended up working in treasury in the church for a little while uh, before coming to Adventist Risk Management. And uh, I, I'm delighted that I found my way into this aspect of the church's ministry because it, it gives me an opportunity to use my skills and interests for the, for the good of the church. Um, Adventist Risk Management has a saying that we use, our ministry is to protect your ministry. Um, a lot of folks think of us sort of in the context of insurance, but we like to think of it also in the context of education, you know, helping people understand the risks that they face 
identify them, figure out what you're up against. And, and then of course, you know, what can you do about it? How do you mitigate the risks and, uh, or sometimes prevent the risks if at all possible. So I'm really excited to, to speak with you today. And, um, I do have cats. I wasn't going to bring that up, but, oh, hey, there. <laughs> so you do uh, have cats. We, uh, we'd gotten to the cat part of the conversation. So uh, wow. thank goodness you're back. <laughs> I'm glad he's back. <laughs> I didn't want you to be wandering there much longer. But listen, let's get right into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Henry, let's let me pray, it. and you can uh, ask that first question so we can get going. Let's Father, we thank you for this space. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray that uh, this discussion will bring a light and will bring comfort to those who are concerned about this topic. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Henry, lead us. Amen. Well, listen, again, like uh, my co-hosts, we're just so grateful that uh, you were able to make some time to come on our program today. Uh, we believe what you have to say is really, really important, especially as we deal with this uh, pandemic. You know, um, Wow, you know, it's it's going to come on a year actually uh, since we yeah. have been, you know, in this stage. And now, you know, there are people who want to get back to the the in person church. Uh, There's some who say, "Listen, no, that's okay." But there's a lot of people. I have a congregation, and they want to get back into this in person church. And so, my my question to you is is, is simple: um, How should church prioritize reopening? Like what, what should we do now as we look forward to, we wanna see each other, we do have these mechanisms that we can engage with one another, Zoom and Facebook, YouTube and all these things, but what should be the priority as we look to reopen? How can we do this and, and do it well? It's a great question. It's a big question, right? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great first question. <laughs> um, my, my father, when, when he was asked very large questions, you know, I can remember his first answer would usually uh, be uh, very carefully. <laughs> Full stop. Um, and, and that's not much of an answer. But I, I think that's, that's the thing, right? And we'll get into some of the details of that, you know, as we, as we talk a little bit today. But I think from a big picture perspective of how the church relates to challenges in its environment or it's balancing its missional needs as well as um, its strategy, right? So how do we be the church going forward? Um, and, and I like to think that we have mission priorities and those are really, really important. We, we also have what I call character priorities. Um, and, and this is me putting on just a, a wee bit of a pastor's hat for a second here. Um, but we, we look at the character of Christ, right? And by beholding, we become changed. We want to love people the way that Christ loved people. And that means caring about their well-being and safety. It's not an idea, mm -hmm. I don't think, that's in conflict with the gospel. And in fact, I think Christ's character is the gospel. So I look at reopening, and I think it's a priority. I think it's important because people need to connect. People want to connect. Um, we can connect in lots of ways. You, you mentioned some good ones, but connection often happens, uh, you know, in person is, is connection. So 
I also am reminded, though, that the church is not a building. Um, I, I do work for an organization that insures many of the church's buildings, so we do care about those. Uh, but the church isn't a building, and we can rebuild those. Um, they are just things. And the church is also not just an institution. Uh, the church is actually people, and we can connect in more ways than we ever imagined. And we're doing it better than we ever did before. Wow. Um, from the virtual space. Mm-hmm. And our church is a movement. So I think we've had to adapt in the pandemic. Um, and while this has been uh, what I consider trying times, and I try not to make light of, of that because people have uh, passed away. People have lost jobs. People have experienced hardship throughout this. Uh, but for many, many people, you know, there has been a real opportunity to adapt and Sometimes I think it's good for us to flex our adaptability muscles, right? It's, uh, we may have learned some things that we want to keep with us past this pandemic. Um, sometimes these hard things create some strength in us. So I hope we don't lose those as we return to normal, right? Whatever normal is. I'm not sure normal is a good word. Uh, we were talking about that last night yeah. and uh, you know normal is not always a good word at all so i hope that we don't look towards uh normal in the sense of complacency but i i do understand we do need to get together at some point uh hopefully safely so the other thing i like to keep into contact context as we look at sort of the practical aspects of balancing out uh the returning to in-person meetings is, you know, the fact that we are part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And each of our churches are not little islands. They are actually, um, uh, we are part of conferences of churches. So the actions of one church or the leadership of one church uh, do have an impact and can be felt by the rest of the organization. you know, every once in a while something hits the news where an Adventist church somewhere did something and uh, you're always like, oh, I hope it was good. <laughs> and uh, there are so many great stories, but um, there's potentially uh, some risks that we face as well. So we need to be mindful of the fact that we are part of a larger body and we do operate as a large organization. Um, I think if I come down to the brass tacks of how do we kind of prioritize it? We need to operate inside the law, first of all. And uh, there are, you know, in different states and provinces, there is different guidance. It's super hard to talk about this. I've done different talks on on the pandemic circumstances, uh, webinars and articles, and it's, it's hard to give very specific advice when the circumstances are different in the different locations. Uh, this is true even, I, I'm located in the state of Maryland, and here in the state of Maryland, there's, um, you know, there's the, uh, the advice given by the governor, uh, and but he's also sort of given authority to the counties because the counties have really wildly different experiences. I happen to live in a county with some of the highest transmission rates and positivity rates. Uh, the county next to me is is also very, very high. 
but the county on the other side of uh, where I am in the other direction, extremely low. So um, just a real practical example is here in the county I'm located, there's no in-person dining. It's takeout and uh, pick up only um, or delivery only. The, the county across the, just uh, to the north of us is in-person dining. You know, they have, you, know, you have to wear a mask into the, into the place and there's socially distanced and they have many measures, but it's, it's different to meet a different circumstance and a different uh, environment. So I think knowing that that, that guidance can be very much in line with the circumstances of the area is helpful. And uh, one of the key things we need to consider as we're looking at how do we prioritize opening? Um, they're gonna give us guidance as far as how many people are allowed to meet, um, as well as just those metrics of transmission rates and positivity rates. So I think for most organizations, whether it's a church or otherwise, um, most organizations have to look at some sort of phased approach um, and you may be in a location where, nope, it's, it's important to stay closed, you know, stay virtual. You may be in a, in a location where a very, very controlled and, you know, a lot of parameters are going to need to be around any reopening effort. You may be in a, in a location where you're, you're free to, you're free to go, um, with very little restriction. And that's, that's, I think what we're up Sure. And that's, that, that's great to hear. I, I am, as you're talking, there are some questions that are going through my head, um, kind of following on the end of this. M many of us have seen churches all around the country when governors or local, um, local officials have uh, shut, you know, shut a lot of things down. And I know this isn't totally in the wheelhouse of Adventist risk management, but I know there's there's some overlap with some legal stuff with, with, risk, with risk management. There are some people that may, that I haven't seen it so much in the Adventist church, but there are some Christians who feel that the government shutting down the churches is an infringement on civil liberties or religious liberties rather. Um, and that that we shouldn't do what man says, we should do what God says, and God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And so no matter what the risk, God will take care of us. No matter what the government or the state says, we need to be in church. Is there a risk management um, posture on that kind of a, of a, a dialogue? As an organization, we tend to stay fairly far outside of that particular discussion. Uh, we, we leave our, uh, to our friends in the um, Office of General Counsel uh, because we need to operate in what is going to um, result in practical benefit, right? So there may be a large philosophical concept of, you know, my right to, to be open regardless of whatever risk there is. Um, I, I think we need to stay very cognizant of people's, you know, uh, well-being, practical well-being. 
and uh, for my part, I don't think it is appropriate for one individual or one local church to say, hey, on behalf of the entire conference, union, division, uh, we're going to go ahead and make this problem for the church, and we're going to open anyway, and we're going to defy the law. Um, I, Like I said, I, I don't think ARM, uh, Adventist Risk Management, is going to weigh in on that a whole lot. Uh, it just seems imprudent, generally speaking. Um, I think our, our attorneys could probably unpack the, you know, whether it's constitutionality or whatever it is uh, of that discussion. But uh, from my perspective, it's a bit impractical. Um, I think we are able to meet and c continue to gather ourselves together. And we continue to look forward to uh, getting back in, and in many cases, Many churches have been able to get back well within the law. Um, it just depends on how the rates of infection are going in their in their location. Got it. Mm -hmm. I hear that. I hear that. I mean, we you just shared with us what are some of the things that churches ought to prioritize. But I just want to I just want to ask. You know, I, we have a lot of churches that are closed. Um, where I am in, the, in this part of the country, we do have some churches that are opening, but. Um, what can churches do while they are closed um, in preparation for reopening? Uh, obviously, we will not be closed the whole time. Um, what what can they be doing while closed to prepare themselves for reopening? That's a really good question. I think um, I'm I'm going to back it right up because I, I it goes back to one of those issues that I, I you know like. I think as uh, Dr. Henry said, we've been closed for almost a year now. Uh, we're really at, at almost that anniversary place, right? So I hope what I'm about to mention has been in, in process, has been taking place for all of the time that we've been closed. Um, and that is caring for our closed facilities. Um, we look forward to using those facilities again. And as it turns out, our facilities you know, don't take care of themselves. It doesn't just happen, um, you know, uh, bad things can happen to our facilities if we're not mindful of them and, and leaving them empty uh, and uncared for, it could be a problem. So uh, for example, we don't operate out of our office space for the most part right now, where most of our team at Adventist Risk Management are working from our homes. Um, so one of the things that I had to do, I have a little fridge at the office, uh, had to clear that out, make sure, you know, I didn't have um, some strange fuzzy things happening in my absence. Uh, we had to make sure that uh, things continue to be cleaned. Something that churches uh, in particular really need to be mindful of is you know, freezing temperatures. You want to be sure that you're not going to discover you've had frozen pipes that have just been burst and um, causing damage in every direction for, for weeks on end uh, before somebody found out. So maintaining our buildings while they're closed is a really, really important first step, both from just like preventing that humidity, mold, uh, water damage, but also from a security standpoint. Um, this also then, it's, it's a good thing for us to think of in being prepared to reopen, right? So we want to maintain our fire and alarm systems. 
So you don't want to get back into your building and, and everything's like, okay, we're, we're back in here. Oh, but we didn't recharge our fire extinguishers in over a year. And uh, so they are vastly out of date at that point. Um, I think in the preparation phase, though, uh, there's, there's a lot of preparation that needs to happen before a reopening takes place. Um, and there's a lot of information for this. Uh, from Adventist Risk Management, we have some resources on our website. The CDC has finally uh, created a very good page on their website for the faith-based uh, organizations. So it's specific enough for us to relate to the guidance that is, that is there. Um, and it's, it's pretty practical. It also relates to things like I was just talking about, um, you know, just making sure that all of your systems are, are clear and working before you get into the reopen stage. You're going to want to, of course, also monitor local and state information. One of the issues that closed buildings face is uh, with water systems in particular. If water has been standing for a while, you can end up with, um, of course, mold, uh, but Legionnaire's disease can form. Uh, this is particularly uh, water fountains, those kinds of... Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't know that uh, that's something we want to face, just, you know, like a, a lay person just trying to figure out. You, you probably want to bring somebody in and have things tested. You want to have your HVAC, your heating, ventilation, air cooling systems checked, filters replaced. You know, we've become really sensitive and appropriately so to, you know, what's in the air transmitted. So you want to make sure those filters are clear and clean, that the place has been aired out, um, and that you've done a thorough cleaning, making sure that your safety systems are all up, up to, up to uh, standards that are uh, for those systems. So then you need to start, like, you need to have plans in place. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I was saying, um, I see some stuff in the chat some questions in the chat um maybe you could address some of this it says there is also a greater risk of remaining closed beyond a necessary time frame what, what do you think about that i mean you know some people the society you know kind of opens things up some people are a little bit more cautious is there a danger in doing that as well just probably just remaining closed even though you might be able to open up for some people I think that's um, potentially an issue that, that you as pastors may be able to speak to better than I can. And that is what happens to a group um, when you don't have that tr that momentum forward mm -hmm. as a community. Um, I don't know if there's as much of, um, you know, a practical uh, side of that from, uh, you know, just your facilities, um, or from the health and well-being of your members, you know, as we normally think about it. But our sense of friendship, our sense of community, I think does suffer. And I think it's important for us to really address that. Uh, and I think there's been amazing work done in that area um, via Zoom meetings, small groups. I think small groups have had a real opportunity over, during this pandemic to 
become more intentional uh, than ever before. I think that's a really mm. powerful thing in our church, and I think folks have been more intentional about being part of that. Um, but it's it's not hard to let it all slide away, too. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I think in an area you gentlemen can probably speak to a lot better than I can, but there is a point to be made there. I, you know, you, you brought up a very good point about uh, the building, you know, as you were sharing. I think a lot of pastors and, and leaders have more focused on the people than think about the building. And um, because and there was this big shift in thinking that, oh, the church is the people. But there is there is that reality that our buildings are, are important uh, to the continuation of our mission in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a food pantry or it could be, you know, even the worshiping options there. And um, I really do appreciate uh, the thought that, hey, hey, guys, we need to remember that there are some things we need to do in the building. Um, we have a, um, one of our, our viewers asked the question um, whether risk management believes that uh, churches, the ventilation system thing should change. That was a big discussion in the airline business about the ventilation system. Is that something, I know that might be uh, way above the heads of uh, many of our members or of our churches, but should we care about some of those issues that have been making the news? I think, um, it, you know, there's, there's different standards that we'll be measured by, right? Like, I tend to think of things very much in the context of liability and by what standard will something be measured? So if you're on an airplane, you know, taking on a commercial flight, you're being, the, the airline is being held to a fairly, I would say, very high standard um, because it's such a controllable and, and specific environment, right? It's, it's a commercial airliner. They, they only make so many different kinds of these things. And you're at such risk, or at least there's this perception that we're at such risk. We're, you know, we're in it too, flying through the air. Um, having, you know, the right kind of ventilation in that enclosed and specific environment where you're going to have to be in there for a prolonged period of time and there have to be systems to move that air through that space. I think there's a very high standard of care. I think we should be mindful of the same issues in the context of our church facilities. Um, but what are your options really? You know, is it, are you going to sell your building because it doesn't really meet your expectations uh, in this new environment? Are you going to uh, replace your entire HVAC systems um, to meet this need? I have heard of, of some organizations making investment in advanced um, HVA systems or related systems. Uh, what I've heard mostly from the engineers, and I really, I, I did have the opportunity to take some engineers. They said, those are some neat ideas, advanced technologies. There's, there's some really interesting technologies that tries to either using light or all kinds of different technology, uh, kind of zap or, or clean 
uh, all of the air that goes through it. They look at all of those options as very much secondary to the basics of you need to ventilate your location. That means opening doors and windows. You need to clean the place uh, effectively, and you need to change your filters and have a professional give your system a clean uh, at least annually, if not if not more frequently during this time. Um, some of those fancier ideas probably have a lot of benefit, but is it entirely cost effective? And what is the standard that your church is going to be held to? Uh, I think there's a few different priorities to weigh there. Um, if you had, let's say, you know, a, a rural uh, church building in you know, and it doesn't even have an HVAC system. Mm. Uh, the HVAC system is, you know, opening doors and windows. Uh, <laughs> well, that, what standard yeah. can you really be held to? You know, you, you're going to control the number of people who are able to come and worship in that space, and you're going to open your windows. Um, that, that's probably all you can do, and something would be pretty hard-pressed with an argument that you're not doing what you can and should. Mm. Wow. So I'm thinking as I'm reading some of the other questions, I saw a question from Tyrone. Um, where'd it go? Tyrone Burton. Um, I want to put that up. He says, beyond the routine management kinds of things that need to be done as per CDC guidelines, what types of spiritual or churchy things should pastors and members be doing to prepare for re-entry? And I want to get to some, some, some very, some, a little bit more detail on that. Um, I don't know. We had something lined up later in the, in the program for that, but as with, with that in mind, um, there are, are, are there some processes that the church should consider um, before we make a decision to reopen. Um, I know this is kind of some of what we've been talking about, um, but are, beyond what we have said at this point, is there a team that needs to be put in place? Is there, uh, uh, you know, some of those processes, some of those things before a church makes that decision to reopen? And are there requirements that should be adhered to that are coming to us, not just from the local governments, but is there something from a local conference, from a local risk management, for whether it be the union or NAD or, or, or World Church? Um, how do, and because people are wondering, how do we, not just wondering, they want to know, how are we going, how are you going to protect me and my family when you open the doors of the church? They want to know, there are some, let, let, me, let me make this clear, there are some who don't care. They're ready to roll up in there right now because they miss the fellowship and, and they're, they're just, you know, gung-ho cavalier about it. There are others who are like... Yeah, I don't want to be around y'all when y'all sing because y'all gonna be spitting everywhere. When you know, I don't want no congregational singing. I don't want no praise team. I just I'm pastor needs to wear a shield because he spits when he preaches because it's here I clean that. You know, all of that stuff. Um, how do we keep the people safe? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I know I throw a bunch at you there, but <laughs> it, it, well, it is a lot, right? There's so many different factors that, that need to weigh into that conversation. Um, I think from Adventist Risk Management's perspective, we the advice we give is to start, of course, with 
the local contextualized advice that you're being given, um, especially in a pandemic, the differences between one community, let's say um, here in Maryland, as compared to, uh, you know, I, I don't have a great example off the top of my head of a state that just doesn't have very many cases at all. Uh, but there does seem to be a higher incidence in some parts of the country as opposed to others. Um, so the regulations and the guidance in those areas are going to be different, right? I, I saw some great advice for the school systems, and I think in principle, and this is just in principle, it's a, it's a good mechanism for us to follow uh, as well. How we apply it is something we have to navigate. I definitely think the way that the church is structured matters. Uh, your conference, and the, the way we have conferences in the Seventh-day Adventist Church is, is a unique and powerful thing. Um, I, I don't know if everyone, you know, ever spends some time thinking about the, the amazing we have in our organizational structure, but it allows us to work as a much larger organization. It also gives administrative and oversight at sort of a, a higher level, either a state or two states or so, um, where a lot of churches are working together in as one organization. Looking for the guidance from the conference is, in my mind, a high priority. I think that should matter. A great deal because it is designed for solving exactly this this challenge. Um, the conferences are going to be looking to figure it out too, though, right? And it is developing. So uh, don't don't go calling your local administration saying, "Hey, Dave said you tell me." What to uh, but, but definitely check with them, right? I th I think it's it's good to have a real working relationship with with the conference. That's what they're there for. You, you can tell them I said that part. Um, but the, uh, here, here's the three metrics. Like if I was to look at it, that really in my mind, help me guide figuring out, Hey, is this a good time for us to open or do we need to go and close again? And, um, this is, comes out of the education system and you can learn more about this on the CDC. There's what they call the measures of community burden, um, I love the lingo, it's great. But the the number of new cases per 100,000 persons within the last 14 days, okay? Hmm. So this is, this is not something you are in control of, this is just what's happening in your community, right? That's the community burden. What's, what is the situation out there? And that's a nice measure of the activity of the pandemic in your community. The number of new cases per 100,000 persons. And another good measure that I would use with that is the percentage of positivity uh, in the last 14 days. So you have these two metrics that give you a sense of there's how much of it's in, in our community and how quickly is it growing, right? Um, and they have some, some great information on how to measure that. Again, on the CDC, they have some charts and whatnot. Um, the third area is really your preparedness to implement and navigate the environment, right? So that is 
your ability to adhere to the following key mitigation strategies. So we're just talking about the things like, are our people prepared to wear masks at church? Are we going to do that? Or are we going to struggle to do that? Is that going to be uh, a real hard thing for us to, to do? Are we able to actually do some social distancing in our facility? Are we, have we planned and are we organized to do that effectively? Uh, do we have hand hygiene and respiratory etiquette? Like have we communicated it? Are we, you know, do we have the hand sanitizer? We go into the restrooms. Uh, is it really well set up for this? Um, one of the things that I, I always like to look for if I'm in public somewhere is, okay, how do I get out of here now that I'm in here? without touching stuff that is going to, you know, I just washed my hands and that's great, but now I'm going to be touching things, you know, the door handle. Can I get out of here without, you know, kind of ruining everything? So what is our plan for cleaning and disinfection? And are we up to the requirements of contact tracing, you know, with our local government? Let's say we did have an instance of somebody in our community contracting COVID-19. Uh, do we know what to do with that? Do we know what they need to do? Do we know who to talk to? Um, and and when and do we know how to let them back into our group once they're they're well again? You know, um, knowing how prepared we are for that gives us a comfort level to yeah. say, yeah, we are prepared for that, or or no, we're not yet ready. And you measure those three metrics of. Um, the incidence of the population, the positivity rate, and your ability to actually implement uh, strategies. And that becomes, in my mind, kind of how you figure if you're ready to open um, and to what degree. Wow, wow. You know, you, you, you just blew me away with that thought about how do I get out of here? You know, I, you know, you know church is normally a place where we think, you know, um, you know I, I've seen parents bring their kids and just let them run loose in the church. You know, they, they're in the building. Now we got to think about how do we get out of here? Today, uh, for right. we are just here at the Pastors Roundtable talking to uh, David Fournier from Adventist Risk Management on how do we think the process of how we, we think about reopening. We have some good good questions in the chat. Um, actually, yes. David, I think a number of our viewers are talking about a, a unified process. I know our church is not big on unification, uh, unifying things and sparing that, but uh, they are sharing that we should have a unified process because there are so many voices that are talking. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm just excited that we are taking the time and sharing and helping us to think about some of these things that uh, sometimes we don't even consider when we when we mm -hmm. think about church because we we we, we can't tend to be so um, let our guards down so much. But uh, thank right. you for being here with us. I think um, the question. I think Dr. Henry, you have a the next question as to where we want to go. Yeah, you know, we, we're still you know on this uh, being safe. Uh, and I think that's important. You know, as you we were talking before I get to the next question, you know, I was thinking about, you know, if you want to go into a nursing home, you know, there's some nursing homes you cannot go into or assisted living facility, you cannot go into them. But there's some who have opened and they have this screening process where they're checking their temperature and they have some things in place. 
And um, and I know that uh, in the church there there are you know some churches that are, that have reopened. They have instituted probably some of those things in this screening process. But maybe you know there's somewhere we can check, and I, and I think we'll get to that probably later on. Maybe a resource, maybe from Advent Risk Management, or or maybe some other document that kind of gives our members some training on okay, what are some things we need screening for? We know the temperature check, and those are, are there some specific questions we need to ask um, when people do reopen? I think those things are are helpful, um, and and maybe we could talk about that a little bit as well. So, you know, when we know about this this virus and they have this new strand coming out too, and, you know, I heard on the news the other day and um, I think they had the first case and so forth. But with all these things going on, I mean, we, we talked about precautions. We talk about being safe. Um, what, what other areas should we look at as a church when we are just thinking about um, reopening. And, and I know we, we talked about that a little bit, but are there some, some other specific things, even from a risk management perspective, like what are some specific things that we can in, you know, think about um, right before we reopen? Because again, we just, we just want to be safe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's so much we can do. Um, the one of the things that I, I think of, I like to think in the broad category of of team, right? So, do we have? I think uh, you mentioned earlier the idea of do we need to form a committee to to work on the reopening plan? I think I think the church does really well to put a small team together. Uh, we encourage the idea of a church safety officer. Uh, to be an appointed member of the board and to really spearhead a lot of the church's risk and safety issues. Uh, but I think in many cases that person's also well served by working with a cross-ministry safety committee, a, a team of people, because some of these need to be implemented not just, you know, in a general sense across the church, but also need to be implemented across the specific ministries. So having that that buy-in and support from leaders across ministries is really important, I think, as well. This is an interesting and large project. Having a team work through these details, uh, if you have somebody with particularly uh, healthcare uh, expertise, you know, if you have nurses, doctors, somebody like that that you can harness who's in, in, your, um, in, in your congregation, I would look to capitalize on those resources for sure. Um, yeah. Then I think mm -hmm. we also need to look at once we move into reopening, do we have the staff support that we actually need to meet the requirements? So what I mean by that is, Let's say that, you, you know, we're talking about a little church somewhere and Sister, you know, Smith, who's 85 years old, has stood at the front door and greeted people as they entered there for the last, you know, 45 years. And she's a blessing and she enjoys that, right? But Sister Smith, in this case, is a, a particularly vulnerable person. Um 
And the person who is sort of taking care of that greeting department duty, um, it needs to shift their their duties a little bit. They need to also be, you know, some locations may actually be taking some temperatures as people enter the building that most um, places that are open that you can go into, uh, you know, like a, if you had to go to a dentist's office or if you had to, um, some, some restaurants even, uh, are taking temperatures as you go in. So it is a helpful screening process. Um, or, you know, they may be saying, oh, hey, let's, let's make sure that everybody who attends um, understands that, you know, all the signage and communication we've done, uh, we, we mean this. And if you're showing up without a mask, hey, here's one for you, you know, um, to, to kind of initiate that conversation, help ensure that everybody's participating, understands how it's going to work here now. And maybe Sister Smith isn't the right person for that uh, job anymore uh, because she is, I, I believe, um, you know, at that age, she's in a category of, of higher risk. And this really, um, having her be the front line to greet every person who comes in really puts her at undue risk. So I would say also, you know, I, I would hesitate to tell elderly folks or people with, um, an immune compromised system that, you know, I don't want to make decisions for them, uh, but hopefully they're fairly reluctant. And sometimes you need to be upfront that we're, we're not expecting them to be on the front lines or be the first people back. In fact, you know, we want to minister to them. We want to reach them, but we want them to be safe, first of all. Um, so you may have really key people, right? Who, you really usually depend on to perform certain functions and they may not be part of your solution in this particular phase, right? So then uh, you need to look at your facility and say, hey, how do we accommodate some social distancing? I, I don't understand the terminology social distancing. I don't know why our society got stuck on that word, but it's physical distancing. That's it's right. Anyway, yeah. but everybody uses social, so that's what I want to use. Um, or like, how do we preserve social bubbles, right? So like when my family uh, would go to church, we are maybe, you know, sitting close together, but that's because we, we live together in the same house. Um, that's okay. But... Um, you know, does our space really accommodate for that? Or do we need to actually change from our regular full-length service into maybe several services mm -hmm. in order to accommodate 50% um, occupancy mm -hmm. or or less? So uh, he's trying th to those make, are you, make you work double time, triple time, Pastor Henry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, you want well, to be there know, for that, you were uh, talking, third uh, service, you know. Yeah. <laughs> As we were talking, I was thinking about, you know, these other rooms in the church. I mean, we, you know, we're talking about the worship service, the main service, but there's some other, you know, rooms that we have in the church that we use for children's Sabbath school. We use the mother's room. It'd be interesting to see those who have reopened. Are those rooms utilized? I, you know, I, I think we just really got to be cautious 
on on opening up because we really have to keep our members safe. I think that's the number one priority. So you're mentioning some really good good concepts and some specific things. Appreciate you. Yeah, I think that's a really yeah. good point. There, there's some um, other things, and that, that that's really what the planning process needs to go through. Sorry, our audio's <laughs> going a little back and forth here. Go go ahead, Dr. Henry. Okay, I think I'm okay. So you know, from a a risk management perspective, and again, you're offering some real good tips, real good specific things on on what we need to think about. You know, as we open up the church, I mean, you covered from the the facility. And, and as you were covering that too, and you mentioned it, I was thinking about some of those facilities where there's not good ventilation. I mean, some facilities you can't, it's hard to open up the windows. I mean, I've been that before. Uh, from a risk management perspective, and you, you know, you know the buildings within our church, are there certain places though that because of the, the, the building, because the ventilation is bad, because of the maybe the age of the building, are there some places that should just? I'm just gonna say shut down. Like I, I'm just gonna say it. There's some places that just shut down because we have this pandemic, and and the building is just it's it's small, you know, it's small and no ventilation, and it's just a risk being in there. Are there some right. buildings where you say, listen, we just might need to look a different direction so that we could be safe? Yeah, I, I I think that there there probably are. I think size is probably one of the most uh, critical factors. Uh, ventilation is certainly also one. Most most buildings have engineered into them, even older buildings, some form or process of ventilation. Um, you know, whether it's just a simple you know window. Um, but it's always amazing, uh, you know. I say that out loud, and I know there's there is going to be some exception out there, and and really having an awareness of what is the ventilation ability of this facility? What is the size? How far can we spread people out? What is our occupancy? And, you know, that's the maximum number of people who are allowed to be in here. Well, how many people can we practically allow in here when they're distanced? Um, and sometimes even the, you know, your local authorities are going to have a number in mind for you. So if your occupancy is at 100, they may be saying, okay, you're, you can open at 50%. Well, um, that's, you're going to have to work through some logistics to, to figure that out. Uh, that's, <laughs> some people are going to be reluctant to return anyway. Um, those who are either just more fearful or uh, have, you know, some causes for concern. Um, but yes, I think your ability to understand what building you have absolutely plays a strong role in this. Uh, I think another area that you can't underemphasize, um, I probably haven't mentioned it enough, is communication. Hmm. I think communication as a leadership team is critical, helping your church uh, prepare for what reopening looks like is a really, really important area. Um, having signage in place, but also having, you know, maybe a church meeting or two, uh, having communicated via email, 
folks, it's going to be a bit different for a while. This is not forever, but this is the next step for us as we move back or hopefully back. Um, and helping understand, you know, we're going to be wearing the masks. We're going to be worshiping a little bit differently. You mentioned the other rooms. And I think for many churches, reopening uh, the children's Sabbath school is, is not one of the first things they do. Uh, children's Sabbath school is wonderful. I, I actually got to uh, participate in that uh, when my daughter was going through those ages. I taught primaries for a few years, and I, I really enjoyed that. We had a lot of fun in primaries. So challenging thing, though, is, is children, uh, you know, don't have quite the same impulse control, um, and they usually use things. Uh, and honestly, so do we all, right? We use hymnals. We pass offering plates. We hold bulletins. We, uh, they, they are going to use the various teaching aids. Um, and a lot of that needs to be set aside for the time being uh, so that we're not just handing um, and transmitting uh, infection. So it's, it's, it's all part of the thought process for sure. And I, I'm reading some of these questions and stuff about potlucks and, and uh, Yvette is saying that there was a time when uh, she's telling Sheila that there was a time when they would stay at church all day long. And I don't know, I, I, I'm one of those who, who I, you know, I'm, I kind of like the whole virtual space and, and the, the, what we accomplish and whatnot, but I'm just getting a little nostalgic uh, reading some of these comments here about being in the space. And I too, I, I miss that, miss that. You know, I, as I'm thinking, as we, as we move, I don't know if we're ready for the next question, but um, just as I'm listening to the conversation, there's a whole lot that's going through my head is the different polar postures that exist in the church. And, and that can be seen as a negative thing. And, and I'd like to maybe spin it um, in, in, in this light, and, and it says that because we have, we have people who still think that the pandemic is the plandemic or that it's, a, it's fake, that it's a hoax, that, that nobody's really getting sick. They're just, you know, making stuff up. We have others who are just on the opposite side of that. I just want to illustrate. That just illustrates how big the Seventh Day Adventist tent is. Um, that we we we're welcoming people um, who who want to be ready for Jesus to come, and and we're just finding ways to be able to work with everybody to be able to to spread that that message of hope. So, um, we, this is a great place to be. Um, I, I I love even having the the debate. It says it reiterates that this is a big tent. Yes. yes, I was going to add one to that, um, Pastor Paul. You said it's a plandemic. It's a strandemic. In other words, a time to strategize as well. <laughs> you know, how to do this thing better. Um, wow, it, it, this, this thing has really pushed our church to new levels, um, to how, how do we engage while we can't be, while we can't be in the same space? And I think that churches are really, we have, I think we've risen to the occasion. We've, we've you know, we, we've taken on this challenge. And, um, and you know, one thing that's getting, I, I know we're gonna to go to the next question, but one thing that I'm concerned about is 
that once that time comes for people to uh, get back in the building, in fact, it was just mentioned, I think, on a show that we had last month, that they actually lost some of the engagement. You know, one person came on the show and they were mentioning that they were, you know, doing online, everything was good, they had a team, but when they went back in the church, there was less engagement. So we got to keep that engagement even when you go back in the building. And um, because I think what we're doing now, in my opinion, is, I don't, I don't want, well, I want to say it's, it's really more effective as far as reaching the masses. Um, we're going to do the, I know people want to hug and kiss each other and so forth. But um, this right here, I think is, is really effective. We got to keep it going, even when people are allowed to come back in. That is true. That yeah. is so true. So, so let's let's look at let's look at uh, let's let's turn it around a little bit. As you know, we're talking about re-entering. What are some of the practices you've seen, David, um, implemented in the worship in, in um, communities? What what are, what are some of the things you've seen out there that, um, in terms of uh, safety or doing things different? Because not, because not everybody's closed right now, right? There are some people who are already open and they're already doing some implementing some things yeah mm -hmm. some places have opened and then closed back up again um i've heard about that uh and some of them may actually be open again uh so i think that's to me it's a good sign i like that people are continuing to monitor and that they're making thoughtful decisions based on uh, what they can do and what's happening in their community. I think that's important. Uh, I think that's the right way to do this. So uh, things that I've seen, though, I actually had the opportunity to go to a church that had some reopening. They would meet. They didn't advertise. They didn't tell anyone about it. They were allowed per local guidelines. They were allowed to do this. Um, and so I actually did make a visit there. And I was expecting to be a little bit, uh, you know, risk management hat on. Oh, man. Oh, no. What are they doing here? What are they doing there? Right. You know, inspector mode. Right. And I was delighted with what I saw. They had a fantastic um, process for when you entered the, the church. It was There was signage outside. They So they had what I'd call sort of a soft open. It was only a small group in there. Um, it's a large building, but maybe only 50 people meeting in person. They're streaming it to most of their congregation and, and guests. They had pews taped off so that, you know, you, you knew where to sit and where not to sit so that there was, you know, good spacing between people. Uh, something I really enjoyed, a logistical problem they solved effectively, I thought, was offering. You know, they did a nice offering appeal, uh, and the offering appeal is important, right? Um, and they emphasize online giving. And there's such a great opportunity for that. I've, I've learned that before the pandemic, maybe 22% of uh, our church here in North America was giving online. And I've heard that since this has started, we're up to 60-some percent uh, using the online giving processes. Um, 
So that's a great solution for that. But they also realize that some folks give in person, and that's great too, slightly more challenging in this context. And so they, rather than passing a plate, they have a bucket at the back of the church, and uh, folks would drop off their offering as they walked through the, the back door. Um, so another one that I saw at different church was they, they didn't do this for church service on Sabbath morning, but they would do Friday programs. They have a beautiful lawn, a great big tree, and so they actually brought some speakers outside, and the the you know the people who were, who were leading the services would stand on the front steps of the church. Everyone else is sitting on this big beautiful lawn under the tree. They bring their own you know lawn chairs or whatever, and so you have the benefit of the outdoor ventilation. You know, you can't get more ventilated than that. Mm-hmm. And they were distanced and they were able to see each other at least and be together. Um, so it was really, really helpful. Another one I saw back at the uh, first church I mentioned, they, I didn't partake in this. Um, I should have checked it out just for research purposes, but uh, they normally do a potluck absolutely every week. And it's a real highlight for their church. They love doing that. Um, so they, potluck is not an advised thing to do. You know, the cafeteria style, just everything about it doesn't work well for trying to prevent transmission. But what they'd done rather is they pretty much, you know, had packaged lunches prepared and sealed, you know, so folks could just pick them up. And they were trying to retain that, that part of the experience. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, also heard about take-home communion kits. This is the one I'm probably, um, I don't know, shaking my head about a little bit more than the others, but uh, still, you know, an opportunity for uh, families to, you know, engage in that process together. Uh, I just feel bad for the single folks, you know. Uh, I don't know how you wash your own. I mean, I guess you wash your own feet. It's, it really ruins the experience. But the... Uh, they had that solution in place where you could pick up the, you know, the uh, the juice and the um, sacraments there, and uh, and conduct that as a group in a virtual uh, context. So, I think I think creativity that people have have done and shown uh, to to meet the challenge in this very strange environment. Yeah, uh, uh, for me, I think the biggest, uh, the, I think the one that got me the most was when they had drive up church. You know, you would come to church and you do it in the parking lot, and the pastor will come out of the steps or on the, on the, on the and then he'll be preaching, and they'll transmit it via um, some kind of low end um, radio, uh, FM station. Yeah. yeah, but it, I mean, I think, I think people became very innovative when it came to um, the pandemic. And um, so many different ideas came up. I actually, uh, when you talked about um, in-home communion, I actually made the bread and I sat around the table. It was the first time that I was able to really serve my family communion. Um, you know, sat around the table and we did it with a little communion bread that I made and, and had some, we had the real grape juice. <laughs> I'm out and made sure she purchased some real okay. grape juice. 
but uh, and the cups were a little bigger than normal. So it, we, we had fun with it. We had fun with it. <laughs> but uh, innovation, the innovation um, has been seen. Um, one of the things that we have noticed in our chat, and we need to start wrapping up our time here, but one of the things I've noticed in the chat is that our folks all agree that we should not be in the church right now. Um, they, they all agree that uh, even at the beginning of our conversation, uh, many people said that they love this virtual um, opportunity they have to do church than being in person. Um, and so I, I, I have to be honest with you um, that a lot of our members feel comfortable with this pivot and they feel that being the safety of themselves and those who are vulnerable are more important than actually having church as normal, whether it be service, whether it be the, the things we do um, uh, with our pantries and with food giveaways. Um, those things are important too, don't get me wrong, but they felt that the safety of our members were high priority for our churches. Yeah. Well, uh, like we said, pass away, people are becoming really creative in doing this thing. I do wanna just address one last thing as we, as we wrap it up. Uh, you know, when you have multiple services, then you got to do cleaning between those services. And so <laughs> I think that's something else that, that we need to think about how, you know, how much time do we need to clean the building? And maybe that's not a question for today, but how much time do we need to clean the building so that it can be ready for the next service? Well, listen, just as we wrap this up, David, um, is there, are there any resources, um, things that could be made available to pastors, to churches as they are contemplating and prepping um, to reopen? Are there books, uh, CDs, websites, workshops, seminars, money, um, <laughs> checks, anything like that that uh, that's available for churches as they are prepping and planning and hoping to reopen? How did money and checks get in there? That, that was good. Hey, it um, costs, it costs, it costs money to do this stuff. <laughs> As preachers, we like to add that in every now and then. Yeah, we're preachers, man. That's what we got to do. There's the offering call right there. That was good. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's some great resources. You know, that's been a fun part of this whole experience is uh, the whole world not really knowing how to how to face this thing and having to figure it out and, and uh, deal with imperfect information along the way. To, I'm probably uh, understating that. Anyway, um, the CDC does have really good guidance at this point though. Uh, so there's a great page if you uh, search for that, you know, uh, the CDC faith-based, you're, you're gonna find, it didn't take me long to find it at all. Um, Adventist Risk Management, AdventistRisk.org, um, have, we have, a dedicated page to questions related to COVID-19 and the pandemic. You don't even have to look for it. Right now it's the banner ribbon on our website. Uh, so it's the first thing at the very top of the page. Uh, one of the things that we did, there's a whole information page there, uh, but we also did uh, a, a webinar on reopening churches. Um, this was back in, uh, May or June, um, I think May actually, of, of last year. It's about an hour long and it goes into some of what we talked about here today. Uh, we also did a whole series of webinars uh, for schools as well. 
um, getting into, we worked with an engineering firm on that one because it got into maybe more specific uh, engineering topics um, and, and the unique realities of schools. So I think those are some of the main um, places to check for sure. And most governments have uh, a pretty steady stream of information that they're providing about uh, transmission rates and positivity rates and that kind of thing, but as well guidance as to what the expectation is in that state or county or so. Yeah. Awesome. So on that website you mentioned, there there's a place where I can go and submit a claim that my church has been infected by COVID and I can... Uh, <laughs> Help me with the yeah. <laughs> Actually, we do have a great big uh, claims, filing a claim button on our website. Uh, if you do have a, a claim that needs to be submitted, there is a great big button for that, and uh, the team's happy and ready to work with you. Um, uh, hopefully, you don't have a uh, COVID claim, though. That, that doesn't uh, seem as likely. So. All right. So, All right. so, so uh, right along with that, uh, one of our viewers asked the question about the liability concerns. I think, you know, maybe we can end around on this one as, as the as the insurer of many of our church building and, and church and the church organization, what, you know, some people may think, oh, we got insurance for that, or is there insurance for this? Is that something that is the norm or the practice because insurance follows the norms? <laughs> yeah, so this has been a really interesting one. Talk about, you know, a developing area. Um, we're watching that very, very closely. Overwhelmingly, what we've seen over the last year is the insurance industry as a whole has has quickly uh, limited its exposure to um, communicable diseases. That tends to be the term that they're using for this pandemic and COVID-19, And but really it's a broad term that applies to uh, a lot. Um, so they tend to use the term communicable disease. Uh, and so exclusions on every front, uh, very little coverage uh, available at all. Um, in fact, because of that, the officers of Adventist Risk Management, um, our president called for a board meeting, we called our board together, and we said, the world is, is excluding this coverage um, we believe that this is a time for the church's captive insurance company to step up a little bit and provide a, a backstop and to make sure that we have a bit of something. It may not be, uh, you know, the, the same kind of um, limits of insurance that we have for, for some of the other types of liabilities, but there, there is coverage in place. The good news and they approved that. I guess I should finish the story and say, and they did approve that. So we were able to put that coverage into place, or I guess to put it another way, to preserve that coverage uh, because it was there in the past and the rest of the industry, including reinsurers, uh, were looking to exclude it. So we're able to help in that way for those that we provide primary uh, insurance. The good news, we think, and we're watching this develop in the marketplace, is that it seems difficult so far for individuals to hold an organization responsible for transmission of 
COVID-19. So that's not necessarily been the case in the past between specific individuals. You, you remember, you know, back in the day when there was, you know, the sort of the spike in uh, HIV and AIDS, one person could uh, transmit the disease to another person. It was fairly easy to track what happened there. Not always the case, but uh, it, there were successful lawsuits to say you knew you had this and you knowingly uh, gave it to me. In, in this case, it's harder to hold a church responsible and we, we continues to be this way for COVID-19 because it, then you have to prove that you definitely got it and uh, positive from attending that location. Um, that's a very difficult thing because the person may have gotten gas at the gas station the night before, they may have had a delivery, or they may have gone to get groceries. There's a lot of places they might have gotten it. Um, it's not to say that it couldn't happen, but it's a difficult thing so far. And of the cases that are in the courts, so far most of them seem to be siding with the defense and the insurance company. So hopefully that trend continues because oh. you, want, you don't want to be accused and or held responsible for um, when you're doing your best to prevent any transmission uh, of COVID. You don't want to be uh, accused and convicted uh, or have to settle based on that. Amen. Well, that's good to know. Listen, everybody, our guest today has been David Fournay. He is the Vice President of Adventist Risk Management, and we are just so delighted he was able to take the time to spend with us today. So, David, thank you so very much for uh, taking the time and, and contributing in such a meaningful way. Um, we're going to take some of those resources that you mentioned to us and make them available to our guests on our website and on our Facebook page. So thank you again. And any other questions? That, that our audience may have. We want you to feel free to post them um, either in the uh, question section or the comment section on the YouTube channel or in the chat on the Facebook page as you're watching today. Um, Roger, uh, yes. what do we got going on next week, Doc? Wow, we are, we are actually going to continue our conversation. Uh, we are planning to have with us uh, a conversation centered around the COVID-19 vaccine. And That's so right. we want to spend some time in, in educating our viewers and our listeners on the vaccine. And so we talked a little bit about the opening today. We're going to continue this kind of conversation um, talking about the vaccine on next week. So you do not want to miss that. And then sometime just to kind of cast the vision Sometime down in the month of February, as you know, February is normally in the Black History Month. We are going to want to spend some time celebrating uh, Black history uh, uh, in our communities. And so please stay tuned to Pastor's Roundtable as we will be dealing with some, some aspect of that as we go into this month of February. And let me just add to that next week um, program, you definitely want to get on. We have someone who has worked on vaccines, Dr. David, we're staying with the D's, Dave Birch will be on the show next week. So you're going to want to 
make sure that you make it to this show so that you'll know a little bit about this vaccine and what's happening as it relates to COVID-19. Listen, as we wrap up, I know there are some of you that are wondering or may have wondered, and we wrestled with this, um, how, how is it and why is it that we would take time on a Sabbath afternoon to talk about risk management and money type of a stuff and building? And, and I, you know, I, I think this is our collective position on this is that there are people who will not step into our buildings if they don't feel safe. Um, and so what we've been talking about today at, at its core is evangelism, that we are prepping to be able to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that every church, every congregation, that you've thought through some of the processes that are important and that are necessary to make our communities feel like coming into our buildings in this environment is something uh, is something that they want to do. And so we just want to encourage you to stay faithful in what you're doing, whether you're going to stay in the virtual world, whether you're going to move into your buildings, just stay faithful to what God has is, is placed in front of you. Do the work that is at hand, that is close at hand, and God's going to continue to bless this church. Awesome. Awesome. And we just want to let you know as listeners uh, and viewers that we'll have uh, David Fournier's contact information in, 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 the, on the, in the chat. He has consented that if you have questions, uh, your pastor or your as a team leader, you're welcome to contact our Adventist Risk Management. They have a team ready to answer questions. They are very customer oriented and they want to be of service our church. And so uh, you can go to the website if you want to wait for the image, get in there. But I know he is willing to be of service to you to help you feel comfortable and safe as we move forward in sharing the gospel to this community, your community and to this world. All right, Raj. Can we get it? Can we, let me just ask you this. Before we even go there, can we get it right this week? I, hey, listen, I, I think we can do it. We, we can, can do, do it. it. We, do, we can do it. Okay, right, 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 Roger first. Me, me second. Dion last. Is that how we're going to do it? Last, right. Last. So, yeah, okay. we're going we're gonna, to. Roger first. So, I like that. Uh, David, I'm thank last. you again. Okay. Thank you again, David, for being with us. And we look forward to maybe ministering in the future. And we want to thank our viewers for, for joining us tonight, today and being a part of this discussion. I want you to know that we're excited here at the Pastors Roundtable, we, where we aim to help you keep ministry relevant, resourced, and real. <laughs>